Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to to dive into your word and to receive from you. Um, I do pray for this uh, young girl who's lost her sister and for this family. I pray, Father, that you will help them to, uh, if they, they don't have a relationship with you, Father, I pray that there are those around them that will shine the light and direct them to you so that they can receive your comfort um, and your peace. And um, I just pray that uh, you will work in their family. Thank you, Father, that Jacob's wound is healed. I pray, Father, for for his air conditioning, for the Rodriguez air conditioning, for our air conditioning upstairs. I pray, Father, that uh, you get these fixed. Pray for these folks that are out there on the square and on the street that are uh, having to deal with this heat. And just uh, pray that you'll help everybody to uh, to be able to handle this. And uh, you know, we just don't know how people did this in previous generations. Uh, you know, up until the mid 20th century, most people didn't have air conditioning. So we're just used to it. I thank you that we have the privilege of meeting here in this room and that it is air conditioned. Uh, pray for these other needs that perhaps were not expressed for those that will join us later uh, on YouTube. Uh, I pray that uh, they will know that you care, that uh, each of us can lift up our needs to you and that you are a good and loving God and uh, that you're gonna be with us, you're gonna watch over us even when we go through difficulty and that we can learn from those difficulties and uh, we can realize that we are going to draw closer to the Lord Jesus, to you, Lord Jesus, as a result of going through what we go through. And so I just pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's take a look at this and I'm gonna be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, so this is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, and verse 19 is actually the end of the chapter, so if uh, we're able to finish all these verses tonight, we'll actually finish chapter four. Um, all the rest of these chapters, by the way, are available. I put them all together uh, in a, uh, what do they call that, a, a playlist? A playlist on, on YouTube. So if you go to my YouTube, youtube.com slash you'll see a playlist that just says First Peter, and it has all of these from 1 Peter chapter 1, 1, right down to where we're at right now. And that will allow you to, to go back and pick up. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And quote, if the righteous is scarcely, scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner, unquote. So that's an Old Testament quote. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing what is good. So if you look at those verses and see how they're bookended, it's gonna give you the overall message. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. This is where I get the title for this whole series, which is, this is a test. And that's why I decided to get into 1 Peter at the outset of this pandemic, because I thought, we're going through a test right now. The question is, how are you dealing with that test? Life is a test. Everything that you deal with is a test. 
Um, it doesn't matter. When you go through times of prosperity, that's a test. Not, not all people handle prosperity well. Some people just walk away from the Lord or they ignore the Lord when things are going well. And they might even say things like, oh, I'm blessed, we're blessed, we're blessed. You know, what this is saying is you're blessed when you're going through trouble. If you recognize that that is an opportunity for you to draw close to Christ, who is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's the suffering servant. So if everything is going your way and the world is all smiles, you may be going the wrong way because the world is going the wrong way. If you're just swimming with the crowd, if you're going along with the, the flow, you know, with the current. Remember what Jesus said. He said, it's a broad road that leads to destruction. So, you know, when you're on that super highway and everybody's going the, the same direction and you're like, hey, man, I'm like everybody else. This is all good. The highway dead ends. It's like, the, you know, y'all skit right there. You know, <laughs> no, the highway does end because, uh, yeah, it ends in destruction. And uh, it's kind of like, uh, did you guys ever see Lord of the Rings or read the book? Yeah. Right. So they're all on those little boats for, for a while. You remember that? And they go through, you know, the big statues of the dudes and whatever. And you, Aragorn, those are my kinsmen and, you know, and all that. But then they like have to, you know, hurry up and get their boats to the little side, uh, you know, or the, the, the island or, or, or to, the, to the side of the bank because it heads over the, the waterfall there, right? So have you ever seen, uh, been to or seen um, Niagara Falls, you know? So what you have is you have a huge river and it, it heads to a, a gorge essentially, right? Just a drop off. And so then the river just starts dropping off. And so you have all these crazy people. This was like very popular, I guess, in like the 40s and 30s, 40s, 50s. People would go over Niagara Falls in barrels. Yeah, barrels. Are you insane? I mean, people are just weird, you know? It's like, <laughs> but if you go over Niagara Falls or any waterfall that's that, you know, intense with, well, I mean, there are plenty of people that went over in a barrel and died. But this is the idea of the broad road leading to destruction. This is the idea of the current that is going the same direction. You may not be encountering any opposition. You may not have any trouble because you're going the same direction as everyone else. You're walking the same direction as the crowd. And I will tell you, the crowd is often wrong. It's really not a great idea to follow crowds. Um, individuals will often sit and think and work through things, but when you get people in a crowd, they just do what everybody else does. This is, you know, so apparently in Chicago uh, over the last several days, I guess over the weekend, there are many shootings in Chicago, many. I mean, this goes all the way back to the days of Al Capone when a gangster basically ran Chicago. All right. And they weren't able to catch him for any of the murders that he committed. They finally, the only way that they caught Al Capone was they looked at the amount of money he was making and determined that he wasn't paying taxes on it. So they bust him for tax evasion. So he went to jail for, I don't know, like a decade or something like that for tax evasion. There's actually a movie out right now uh, about uh, the end of his life after he got out of jail. It's very boring. I will just be honest with you. Um, the actor that plays Al Capone, whose name evades me right now, is actually very good, but it's just it's just very boring. But it just shows you that you know his life was just I mean it was horrible in the uh, aftermath of all of this. But my point is Chicago's always been violent. 
Now, there have been plenty of, there's been plenty of Christian witness in Chicago as well. There's some, some uh, you know, D.L. Moody and Moody Bible Institute is in that, that area. Uh, there, there's a significant Christian witness there, but one way or the other, Chicago's always been violent. There's always been a gangster element there. And of course, that's changed from the, the you know, the Italian gangs and, um, you know, making bootleg liquor and so forth to, you know, the types of gangs that we have, Crips and Bloods and all this other stuff now. But because there is, uh, there's such a, a, uh, a media-fueled frenzy against the police in this country right now, anytime anything happens and there's a police-involved shooting, rumors flourish. So apparently there was a uh, 20-something man that was shot by the police in Chicago. Um, I, um, I think it was a person of color, uh, might have been a black person. Um, but there is an assumption that every time a cop shoots someone who happens to have a darker color of skin, that it's also automatically racism. But, you know, the reality is um, people commit crimes and white people commit crimes and Latinos commit crimes and black people commit crimes. I mean, people commit crimes. But the rumor went around that a child had been shot by the police. So here comes the protesters. Well, they're not protesting, they're rioting. And they come into downtown Chicago and they're going down the Miracle Mile. So this is a, a very commercial, famous commercial area. In, in down. And of course, what do they do? Same thing they do every time. They break windows, they loot. So if there's a rumor that something has happened that's bad, that purportedly the police has done, that gives you the right to steal and do evil. Two wrongs don't make a right. Well, first of all, it ended up being a rumor, but this shows you that people just listen to whatever they, you know, whatever's around them, and the crowd just all flows in one direction. Well, you might say, well, I would never do that because that's your crowd, right? But what do you do when you're in the midst of another crowd, another political crowd, uh, you know, uh, another ideological crowd? Do you really stop and think, are you willing to buck the system? Are you willing to turn around and walk the other way? Are you willing to sit still and be at peace and think? Contrary to popular belief, silence is not violence. Sometimes you need to sit and be quiet and think and examine things. So right after the George Floyd incident happened, I had uh, a young person that, that attended this church uh, uh, on and off, uh, prior to the shutdown, who asked if I would use my platform as though, you know, I have like all of these watchers or something um, <laughs> to, uh, uh, to address, you know, the issue. Well, I addressed the previous issue um, with the, uh, the man who was, was shot by the, uh, there was, a, this was in Georgia, there was a, a retired prosecutor and his son who essentially chased a man down the street who happened to be a black man down the street and confronted him. And when he defended himself and tried to keep the guy from shooting him, they just shot him dead. Well, nothing happened for two months until the video of that incident came to light. That's absolutely ridiculous. 
And I did comment on that. That's an obscenity. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. Well, the George Floyd thing is as well. But they, they didn't wait two and a half months when a video came out. They immediately arrested that cop. They fired him and then they arrested him. So I said, it looks like justice is taking its place. And I don't feel the need to jump in the middle of this. Well, I, I, I have continued to make comments about uh, the, the issue since then because the whole country has blown up over one incident, right? But I'm not just going to go the same direction that everybody goes. I'm not going to say what everybody else says. I'm going to look at the word. I'm going to think. I'm going to pray. I'm going to work through things. And I'm not going to be strong-armed, and I'm not going to be pushed into a position, even if it appears that that's the right position. Because sometimes what appears to be the right position is not the right position. So you've got to think through things, and that's what I've sought to do. And believe it or not, that's what I think we're going to, we're going to encounter opposition as the result of our, our Christian values. We're going to encounter opposition as the result of, of what we believe, because the Bible opposes the agenda that is being promoted today, right? Um, it is anecdotal, and it's not happening all over the place, but I, I think it is illustrative that a group of BLM protesters burned Bibles. So black lives do matter. That's what I put out on that sign. That's absolutely the case. But that movement is wicked, outright wicked. And so we have to be careful when we put ourselves in a position where we're just unthinkingly following a movement. I'm not following that movement. I will defend to the death anybody, uh, whether it's, a, a, you know, whatever their, their, their race is characterized as. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to sign some document or go marching in the streets and hollering and, you know, I'm going to do what I believe is right. And people need to respect that. You need to pray and you need to read the word and you need to do what's right. And people need to respect that. And if they don't respect that, they don't need to be someone that you would count on as a friend. You can be a friend to them, but they don't need to be someone you would count on as a friend, that you would rely on, that you would trust, that you would depend on, right? And it's, you know, this applies to any of these issues. So we are going to encounter opposition, increasingly so. Um, right now, as, as, as wild and narcissistic as Donald Trump is, um, he is providing a foil to this extreme leftist agenda, right? I wish there was somebody that was more balanced and uh, less self-centered who was in office. I wish there was somebody that was more able to get along with other people, right? Basically, if you like him, he gets along with you. If you don't, he doesn't, right? And so there are plenty of respectable people who no longer want to have anything to do with him because they've opposed his ideas or his position or his personality. Nonetheless, um, you know, this, this is someone that is a foil for the extreme agenda uh, on the left. However, because of this continuous onslaught against him by the media, by politicians, uh, by really, by and large, a, a, whole, a whole lot of uh, left-leaning corporations, um, he may not end up getting a second term. Now, if he does, we're going to have four more years of this same drama. We're going to impeach him. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But if, we, if, if Democrats get into office, you're going to find that what has opened up as a left agenda is going to be pushed forward very, very quickly.
Now, why am I, I'm not trying to politicize a Bible study. I'm trying to help you to understand that there's a very real possibility that in less than 90 days, you may lose some freedom. And over a period of four years, you may lose more freedom. That may include the freedom to speak your mind. That may include the freedom to preach the gospel. Why would that be? Because there are certain moral stands that authentic Christians much, must take that are uh, opposed to what this agenda is. So why I'm saying this is you need, you think we're going through some difficulty now, you need to dig in and decide, you know what, this is our time to stand up and to fight for what's right. This is our time to shine, not to fight in the flesh, not to hate on people, not to enter into uh, what in debate is called an ad hominem attack, right? Discuss the issues, debate the issues. And this is, this is not what I see happening. What I see is that people just, they bring in personal attacks and they focus on the, this, this individual's character. And, and you really never see anything related to the particular issue that we're supposed to be discussing. Because if we were talking about issues, then we would be able to have a debate. And it could be, you know, the debate could get heated, but it would be over issues, not personalities. Now, there are certain uh, commentators out there, uh, many of whom have, have uh, departed from the left, who like to host these sorts of debates. Uh, David Rubin is one of them. Uh, this is a guy, all, all these people are, are people that others have introduced me to. I didn't even know who Ben Shapiro was. There's a fellow that goes to our church that introduced me to him like three or so years ago. And I was like, oh, okay. Very intelligent guy. Gets really, really uh, portrayed as some sort of alt-right extremist. The furthest from the truth. Uh, the reality is he's a classic conservative. He's an Orthodox Jew. The alt-right hates him because they're anti-Jew. Right? They're like Aryans. They are like Nazis. Okay? And so, like, they hate this guy. But David Rubin is, he was once on the left. Right? He's a partnered, married, homosexual man. But he is willing to listen and he is willing to have people on his show and let them debate and let them discuss. He is willing to allow people to come and talk to him, even though he doesn't agree with them. He has advocated for people like this baker in Colorado that has repeatedly been sued and dragged through court uh, by the left. Uh, you know what Reuben says, and again, he's homosexual. He says, if you, that baker doesn't want to bake your cake, go to another baker, right? You know, this is, this is the kind of person that we can have a discussion with. This is not somebody that is a Christian. At least to my knowledge, he doesn't claim to be, be a Christian. Uh, ben Shapiro's not a Christian. As I said, he's an Orthodox Jew. But we can sit down and have conversations with people like this because they're willing to let you believe what you want to believe. The left that is getting into office right now does not want to allow that. See, genuine liberalism is open-minded. I'm telling you what, I'm more liberal than virtually anybody you'll encounter in the Democrat Party because I'm willing to let people think what they want to think. 
That's classic liberalism. Liberalism is willing to sit down and have a discussion and have a debate and be open-minded and be tolerant. What you have is you have these extremes on the right and on the left that are utterly intolerant. They don't want to let anybody. Why am I bringing all this in? Because I think that we need to pay careful attention to what Peter is saying here. He opened this letter um, talking about the elect strangers, right? Uh, Those who God has chosen that are strangers in the world, that are exiles. There's another word for it, the elect exiles. That's us. Now, you and I have a tendency to focus on our choice. I chose Jesus. But the choice that really matters is his choice of you. He offered you the opportunity. If he hadn't offered you the opportunity, your choice would be irrelevant. But he offered you that opportunity. And if you have received that opportunity that he's offered you, then you are one of his chosen. But that makes you an exile in this world. So again, this is all about everybody needing to go the same direction, everybody needing to vote the same way and think the same way. I don't think that. Um, But we need to realize that if we stand up for what we believe, then we're going to encounter this. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial, not just a trial, the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So... When you deal with this opposition, and this is opposition to your Christian faith. This is an opposition to uh, your bad attitude. (laughs) This is uh, an opposition to how badly you treat people, okay? Uh, If you're mean to people and you encounter opposition, well, that's a personality problem that you need to address. You need to let the Lord put some kindness in you and stop being nasty to people, and really, you know, we all need to stop being self-centered, right? We need to be more conciliatory. We, we need to, to be more considerate, right? I need to realize that I can compromise with people. I don't have to agree with you to compromise with you and say, it's okay. We can agree to disagree, and it's okay, and we can still love each other, and we can still have a meal together, and we can still be friends, and we can still go to the same church together. It's, it's all good, Right? But consideration, and I, I, I like to use these sessions, these Bible studies as an opportunity to confess my sins and tell on myself. Um, I get, I, it bothers me when people are inconsiderate. And sometimes that drives me to be inconsiderate, which is really ironic, isn't it? So I'm at the gym today and I, I finished working out and this group of ladies had all finished whatever their aerobics class or whatever it was, right? in that main room that's up there, right? And they're always doing stuff up there. And they had like a big, uh, they had a big bin there where they could all throw their towels. And they were all just like gathered around the stairwell so I can't go down the stairs. And then they just start kind of walking slowly down the stairwell and just, you know, chatting away. And like, there's nobody else in the world that needs to go down the stairs. It's all about you, huh, honey? (laughs) I didn't say that, but I did think it. And so what I ended up doing is not being considerate. I could have just let them go slowly down the stairs, gone and done some more crunches or something. I'm fat. So, you know, but I didn't do that. What I did is they're going down. So, you know, there's, there's no arrows or anything, but we live 
in a country where traffic goes on the right side of the road. So when you go down the stairs, you go in the right stairwell down. When you come up the stairs, you go in the right stairwell up. Well, I just did an in run around these ladies and went down the other stairwell, which meant that I'm encountering people that are coming up that, which makes me inconsiderate. How ironic. I'm doing exactly what was irking me. Oh, it just, but see, I have the Holy Spirit and I have the ability to recognize that and I have the ability to correct that. And that's different than me just saying, well, they should have done this and they should have done that and my me, 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 me. We all need to be more considerate and more conciliatory. And I'm telling you, when we're on the road, that's very much the, the case. And I just find myself sometimes being so impatient, right? So the number one cause of traffic accidents, according to the last driver's class that I had to take because I got a ticket, um, it's been several years ago, but I just don't remember, <laughs> is improper speed. That means either going too slow or going too fast. So here's a speed limit, right? So coming off here, I go down this road all the time to, to go up to Firewheel and, you know, eat at Glorious usually. And it's 40, 45, 50. And you have people that want to go, you know, 40 all the way up into the 50. And then you've got people that think that they need to fly. No matter where they are, they need to be just going guns. They're like in the Indianapolis 500 motor speedway driving an F1 car, and you need to get out of their way. If we all just went the speed limit, we'd be fine. But they don't. So what am I going to do about I can't control them, although I yell in my car or, you know, at least mumble in my car. I can't control them. I have to be a different type of person. And if you do that, you're going you're gonna to have less stress, okay? Um, I need to shine the light. You need to shine the light. But again, when you shine that light, and it's not about these sorts of issues that I'm discussing here, um, it's going to hurt some people's eyes. People that are accustomed to the dark, right? It hurts their eyes. And that's what we, we're dealing with here. So he says... Don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you. So when, when the testing happens, don't be surprised. Don't say, oh, my word, what am I, what's happening to me? Lord, you don't love me. And he may be saying, I'm bringing this or allowing this in your life precisely because I love you, because I am making you. I'm creating something in you. I'm making you into a stronger Christian if you'll choose to rely on me and not on yourself, and not throw a pity party and expect everybody to come to your pity party, right? Um, what we need to do is realize, no, this is a test, and I'm going to pass the test. I'm going to come out shining like gold. He says, but rejoice. Now, that's just, if you don't know Jesus, that doesn't make any sense at all. Rejoice? Rejoice when you, the fiery trial comes upon you? It's not just rejoice like we're, we're psycho or something. Okay, he says, rejoice insofar because you share Christ's sufferings. So again, understand that the fiery trial he's referring to is focused on persecution. And he's going to bring that out in these, in these following verses. It's focused on how people treat you because you're living out your faith, right? So the more you move around 
in public circles, okay? Whether that's out there on the square with all these different people coming by and talking to you, whether that's in school, whether that's on the job, um, and your job may be at a school. Um, it could be online. You know, I know a lot of folks that they play these video games and they're, you know, on their headsets and whatever, and you're encountering people. And, you know, if you encounter people, there's just a lot of different ideas and opinions out there. And so if you make it known, and you don't have to be weird about it, you don't have to be like a religious fanatic about it, you just make it known through your character and your kindness and so forth that you are a believer, right? can be as simple as offering, you know, a cold cup of water to somebody. So um, I'm just going to give you an example of an opportunity that could have gone further and didn't, but this is the type of thing we should be doing. Um, I saw these kids out there doing exercises uh, yesterday afternoon. And I mean, it was in the heat of the afternoon. And I guess they had some coach out there and it was, they were, I don't know, they were kids. They were middle school through high school, um, four or five of them. Did you guys see them running around out there? I don't know if you saw them. This is probably at about four or so in the afternoon yesterday, maybe. No, it was, it was, it was probably about five because I was in here getting ready for karate. Well, anyway, they were running around. They were throwing medicine balls and they were just, you know, doing all kinds of things out there. And, you know, I saw the youngest kid, this boy, just, you know, he just kind of fell out and just, you know, laid down on the sidewalk out there, you know, whatever. And so I thought, man, I want to make sure that they have water. And so I just, I walked all the way over there and I looked around for the right person to talk to. And I said, hey, you know, kind of interrupted them like I was being, you know, I don't know, nosy or something. But I said, just, you know, hey, do y'all have water? He goes, oh, no, 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 we got over there. I said, because the church over there, I said, I got a water dispenser, you know, I'll give you some water, whatever. Well, the scripture talks about offering a cold cup of water in the name of Jesus. Well, they did have water. But it's, it's acts of kindness like that that can open the door, if that makes sense. So I didn't walk over there with an armload of Bibles and say, hey, are y'all saved? Y'all know Jesus? Because I got a Bible right here and I want to give it to you and preach to you. No, there's a time for that. But I need to open the door. I need to give people an opportunity and I need to meet needs. That's, that's what we're, you know, we're all seeking to do, okay? Um, so I'm going to rejoice insofar as I share in Christ's sufferings. I'm going to rely on him in going through what I'm going through. Um, and then further, I'm going to do that because I'm anticipating the reward that is coming so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So Christ is going to return. His glory is going to be revealed. If you're insulted in the name of Jesus, or whatever the insult may be, you are blessed. Well, that's what Jesus said, right? Um, he said, uh, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, um, in the uh, Beatitudes, we call them the Beatitudes, which just means the blesseds. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then Peter and John were actually beaten because of their faith in Christ. In those early days after the resurrection, uh, they became very bold. You heard me read the extensive passage from Acts chapter 2 on Sunday. Uh, the, whole, the Holy Spirit came down. Man, 
people that were shy before, people that were scared before, they became bold as lions. And they went out there and just were openly preaching the word to anybody who would hear, right? Now, again, we don't have to go buttonhole people that don't want to listen. If somebody doesn't want to pay attention, I'm not going to be condemning them and chasing them down and making them feel bad. I'm going to be a friend to them. I'm going to open up to anybody who has any sort of a desire or interest in listening, right? And so, you know, Peter and John were out there preaching the word. They were in the temple on a daily basis. It says that they were, you know, in the temple consistently, regularly, daily preaching the word. Well, as the result, the same religious leaders who had Jesus executed were seeking to shut them down and would, would have had them executed as well. In fact, they ended up executing by stoning a man named Stephen. That's the first martyr. Uh, and you see that you can read that in Acts chapter 7. But in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42, we, uh, we see the response of Peter and John after the Sanhedrin has met, told them to stop preaching. They said, you know, this is, this is our edict, right? This is, this is the decision that we've made. You cannot preach in the name of Jesus. Your church cannot meet. You cannot sing. So you got a guy in California, very conservative preacher, who I have disagreed with in certain theological areas for years, but not because he's, he's unorthodox. There are just certain theological positions that he has taken that I don't agree with. But his name is John MacArthur. He's very erudite. He's very intelligent. He has many books out. He's written commentaries on the Bible, right? He's very conservative. He has a very, very good relationship with the police. He has a good relationship with, you know, those in, in the city of Los Angeles where his church has been for 30 or 40 years. The governor of California has determined that churches are not going to meet until January. And in outdoor settings, they can, they can gather in outdoor settings. They just can't gather indoors. If they find a way to gather in outdoor, they're not allowed to sing. Okay, I understand why, but this is where you cross the line into constitutional issues. That's these people's decision. That's not your decision. You don't get to violate their civil rights. So, John MacArthur, very law and order guy, guy that has preached Acts chapter 13, which says, obey the authorities. And as I indicated before, the reason why I started asking us to wear masks in here, and you know, I'm umpteen feet away from you guys, and I'm teaching right now, okay, but I'll be happy to put my mask back on and do all of that, is because this scripture um, that we're looking at right now, uh, earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2, said submit your, or 1 Peter chapter 3, said submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every uh, government institution. But he very clearly indicated that we're to submit when they praise those who do good and punish those who do evil. When we find government institutions and those who are elected or unelected officials who are in power who are punishing those who do good and praising those who do evil, who are participating in hypocrisy. So when these protests were happening, they didn't say a word. 
people packed together in the streets in large numbers. You're not, they're not supposed to gather in groups larger than 10. And you had hundreds of people. Oh, that's, that's their right. I agree. So what's your beef with churches? John MacArthur's church has been meeting. It's going to be interesting to see what the outcome is as the result of that, right? And although I think that they could do, his church could do a better job of social distancing, they could request that people wear masks, they could be, keep, be keeping people safer, and I'm not in complete agreement with the way he's doing this. I am in agreement with the fact that he's a principled individual, and he's saying, this is a First Amendment issue. You can't, this is a biblical issue. You can't tell us not to preach. Peter and John said, should we obey you or should we obey God? So when your government, under the pretense of protecting you from a virus, says you're not allowed to worship publicly, what do you do? There comes a time when protesting is legitimate. So I haven't said anything against the, the Black Lives Matter protests. I just indicated that I don't agree with the movement, the organized movement. I think that there are some significant problems there. But people are concerned over a legitimate issue. I didn't have a problem with them protesting. In fact, our associate pastor uh, marched with his daughter in two of those protests. And I sat out here and listened to these folks that were out here. And we made friends with several of them. We talked to them. And, you know, no, I don't have a problem at all. I do think that that's their civil right but I do think that they took risks and I do think that, that uh, those protests were going on everywhere. Two weeks later, you all of a sudden saw a rise in COVID. Well, of course you're going to. And there's a very real possibility, probability, that they're gonna see cases of COVID in John MacArthur's church. You take a risk every time you walk out the door. That's all there is to it, all right? So Peter and John said, you know, should we obey you or should we obey God? We're going to obey God. You know what? They got punished for it. Listen to what happened. And when they had called the uh, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Do you think that these two apostles cried about that? Do you think they complained about that? Do you think that they were cowered by that and they stopped preaching in the name of Jesus? Nope. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That is the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching <laughs> that the Christ is Jesus. <laughs> That's between Autumn and I and the, the drama group. Okay. So don't worry about those who discount you, who disrespect you, even who seek to do you harm for your Christian faith. You don't need the approval of any human being. You just need God's approval. And he'll approve you when you choose to have faith and you choose to obey. Don't align yourself with any movement, political, theological, doctrinal, ideological, philosophical, if it causes you to turn away from living for and loving Jesus. And he says, the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. So 
That's the Holy Spirit, right? We can, handle, we can handle anything that the world, the flesh, and the devil throws at us when we're filled with the powerful Holy Spirit. That's why these apostles changed from being cowardly disciples to being bold as lions about their faith and being willing to suffer, even martyrdom. Every single one of the 12 were martyred. That means they were killed for their faith except the apostle John. And he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And it is likely that uh, he was, during that exile, that he had to perform manual labor out there. So this, this wasn't just uh, you know, a time of rest. However, this is how God works when we're doing, going through difficulty. That's where the apostle John received the vision that he ended up writing down that we know as the Revelation. So the last book in the Bible was written by the Apostle John while he was undergoing persecution on the island of Patmos, right? So I keep seeing this commercial that comes on my uh, uh, various uh, YouTube videos that I watch, and it talks about businesses that were started during difficult times right? Books that have been written during difficult times, during pandemics, right? So we need to stop acting like this is just this tragedy that we'll never overcome because we're inconvenienced. Yes, many people have died and it's, and it's tragic. Many of those people would have died within about a year anyway, but it's still tragic. Nobody, I don't want anybody to die. I don't want anybody to get pneumonia and not be able to breathe, period, right? But I don't, you know, I don't wish that on anyone. But we all need to stop thinking that this is like, you know, the end of the world as we know it. This too shall pass. This is a test. How are you handling the test? The pandemic is a test, what you're going through in your personal life, right? You're dealing with homelessness right now. Uh, if you're dealing with you know, personal health struggles right now, if you're dealing with financial issues right now, you're dealing with family issues right now, this is a test. How are you handling the test? The result should be that I put my full reliance on the Lord Jesus and that I allow the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory and of God, to rest upon me. I... Uh, you know, I've been frustrated, especially during the initial shutdown when, you know, Clay Jenkins shut down the entirety of Dallas County when there had been 16 deaths in a county of 2.6 million people. And he shut the whole county down. And, and that was happening all over. That was frustrating to me. It was frustrating to me personally because I couldn't go to the gym. Right? I couldn't do my normal stuff. I, you know, it's like... There's this assumption that just, you know, making people stay inside is the best thing for them. Not really. There's a lot of people that that's not really the best thing for them. Not healthy, right? However, in all my complaining, consistently the Holy Spirit just rests upon me and pulls me out of it and encourages me. And I've sought to share that encouragement with you all. It's not just that this will pass and everything will go back to normal again. I think that we can grow personally. We can grow spiritually. We can even grow as a church as the result of this. 
you can be transformed as the result of these things that you're going through. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that. If things get worse, let's, you know, let's say it gets down to it and, um, you know, they try to shut our church down again. Now, I'm going to pray through this, but the reason for the mess and all that is because, frankly, friends, I don't plan on shutting this church again. I don't. Now, I'm not going to encourage anybody because if, 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 if we get Democrats in the White House, there's a very real possibility that they will use this as an opportunity to shut down on a regular basis, on a nationwide basis. If it follows the line that Clay Jenkins followed last time. So right now, uh, we're okay in a church setting. And this is why I've said we request that you wear a face mask. It is not required by the governor's order that you wear a face mask. I've just told you why I have requested that anyway. Okay. Um, and doubly so for my friend uh, Jacob here, who is a person that is that is at risk. And I would ask you to be very careful when you're around Jacob. Wear your mask, right? His mask doesn't protect him. Your mask protects him. It's important. You're around older people. Wear the mask. It's not going to hurt you, right? It's an inconvenience, but it's not going to hurt you. It's really not. But the reason that I've done that, even though the, the governor has said it's a $250 fine if they choose to, to assess it, if you're in a business and you don't wear a mask, but there's no jail time associated with it. I don't know if you remember what Clay Jenkins laid down during the shutdown, but it was a $1,000 fine and six months in jail. These people are out of their minds. This, this is a sickness, right? There's no way that I'm going to encourage anybody to risk that. But I'm not going to shut those doors. Not. Now, during the time when we had the actual shutdown, we were allowed to have the band come up here, but there were a couple of people who I invited to come up here anyway. One of whom doesn't have a home and the other of whom doesn't have an internet connection or the ability to, to see the church online and whose presence I appreciated in prayer, I appreciated, all right? Um, but if that happens, I'm not gonna widely advertise it or anything like that. It's just gonna be a word of mouth and you show up. We're here, we love you. But I'm just telling you that now. I'm just telling you that now. If the Lord wants to contravene, that's fine. When the face mask thing first came out, I wasn't willing to, to do it. But I paid attention to the scripture. I paid attention to the Lord. I'll do what the Lord leads me to do, okay? But the reason I'm telling you this is because there may be times when we have to encounter more than just inconvenience, right? Um, listen to what the Lord Jesus promised. He said, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you will say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. You might have to go to court over your faith at some point in the future. You never know. Well, you pray and you allow the Lord to speak to you and through you. You be kind, you be courteous, and you let the Lord defend you. John MacArthur is willing to go to jail over this, right? They're threatening to fine him $1,000 a day. Now, he and his church can afford that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Not me. All right. Nonetheless, but then he says, um, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So it kind of goes down in degree as far as, you know, what you might get arrested and suffer for. Well, you know, just because injustice is being done to you, that doesn't give you the right to go out and wreak havoc and cause mayhem, which is what we see with these riots, right? You, 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 you can't justify murder because of your, your theological position or your supposed faith. You, you can't steal. There it is right there. Looting. So, you know, there's a very real injustice that happened with George Floyd. That doesn't give you the right to go and steal. How does that equate to that? Exactly how did that, 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 no, no. If you steal, then you deserve the punishment for stealing. Okay? So he says, as a, a believer, the only thing that I need to be suffering for is my faith in Jesus. If I'm suffering for being obnoxious, the, the last thing he says is, is as a meddler. That means if I'm suffering for getting in somebody else's business, right? For getting in the middle of someone else's business. That might be as, you know, maybe I, I don't do it directly. Maybe it's just the result uh, is gossip. Gossip is getting in someone else's business. You're just doing it behind their back. You're spreading their business to other people, or you're adding to it. You're augmenting it. You know, you're 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 speaking about them in a way that um, is disrespectful to them, is harmful to them, and they're not there. He said, "No, you don't suffer for any of those things. If you do, you deserve it." But then he says, "It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God." What does that mean? Well, it may mean that in the context of the scripture here, that the world is judging. And it's time for that to happen. That the world is seeking to stand as a judge. And that's just going to be what we need to deal with. But we always need to be ready that the Lord is going to judge us. And what you and I need to be concerned about is not condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What we, need to be, what we need to be concerned about is correction, right? If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. If you're in Christ, you don't need to worry about the wrath of God and being separated from God. But you will be corrected as the result of the circumstances that you go through, some of which the Lord may be directly engineering by providence, right? So, that shirt you were wearing a few weeks back that I used to see all the time, only God can judge me. Well, he will, and it begins now. Judgment upon the people of God begins with discipline, which every child of God must receive. Listen to what uh, the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
Besides this, we have, an, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be sub, subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I think that's a good way of understanding this test, right? For the moment, that's Hebrews 12, 11, all discipline seems not to be joyful. Discipline is not fun. Self-discipline is not fun. Going to the gym and lifting weights, I know that there are some people that like it and have fun doing it. I don't have fun doing it, I just do it. And just do it so I can stay reasonably healthy. And there are plenty of mornings, and I go every morning except Sunday, there are plenty of mornings I just don't want to go, right? But it's good, right? It's not joyful at the moment. But you know, there have been plenty of times when I just felt wretched going in and great coming out. Maybe primarily because it was over. <laughs> but to a degree, it's because I worked out. This is anything related to, dis to discipline. You know, maybe you, you, you decided that it's important to get into the Word, so you're reading the Word on a regular basis, and then you're like, ah, today I don't feel like it. That's exactly when you need to do it. Wow. You don't do something because you feel like it. You do it because it's right. You do it because it's good. Not because you feel... Your body will sometimes will cooperate and sometimes it won't. Your attitude sometimes will be there and sometimes it won't. Discipline, this is how I've always defined it, is doing what you don't want to do so you can do what you do want to do. Right? So Autumn blessed us with a performance Sunday morning. She had to memorize those lines. Now that may be easier for you than it you know, is for some other people. My ability to memorize has declined over the years, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't memorize. I should memorize, right? Now that's small compared to, I've seen her in a couple of things. The last play that I saw her in had a ridiculous number of lines, all right? Same thing with you when you were in Aladdin, lots of lines. You can't get up on stage and become a character if you won't memorize the lines, and that requires discipline, and you can't get up and perform if you won't go to rehearsals. And sometimes rehearsals are fun and sometimes they're just a beating, right? Sometimes they're just exhausting and you don't want to do it again and you don't want to do it anymore, but it's discipline. It's doing what you don't want to do so you can do what you do want to do. So you memorize the lines and you go to the rehearsals and you discipline yourself. Now there are certain parts um, all of these actors that have played superheroes in the Marvel, you know, universe, whatever, they've all had to go through these, these intense fitness regimens so that they could look like, you know, the super buff superhero. They don't look naturally like that. I mean, some of, the, you know, some of them have some natural gifts or whatever, but, you know, they look super buff and awesome because they had to go through those. So Iron Man is a classic example, right? Robert Downey Jr., he went through, you know, physical fitness, whatever, and, you know, and in those earlier Ironmans, I mean, he looked pretty good. He looked pretty ripped. This last one, he looked terrible. He looked, well, he did. He looked like a wraith. He looked skinny. Well, he needed to. 
right? He wasn't, you know, doing what he'd been doing before. He'd been in space and all of this stuff. If you saw the last one, what was it? Endgame? Is that the name of the last one? So, I mean, he had like a bony chest. And I was like, dude, RDJ, you let it go downhill, dude. Because he was like all buff looking in the early ones, you know? It's, it's, it was the character. It fit the character. What I'm trying to say is there are some parts that these actors get that require them to do more than just memorize lines, right? There have been parts where actors have had to gain a phenomenal amount of weight. Uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey had to lose an obscene amount of weight because he played uh, a, a total druggie. Uh, I can't remember what the name of that movie was, but I mean, he lost a lot of weight, okay? Um, uh, what's his name? Oh, I, I can't remember right now. There's, there's another actor that was in a, it was actually a terrible movie back in the early 2000s, and he had to lose a lot of weight. And then there have been actors that, as I said before, have had to gain a ton of weight, right? Um, you know, now they do all this stuff with CGI and, you know, hey, we'll make you, you know, or, or Fat Thor. You know, he didn't gain all that weight. They just put a fat suit on him so he could maintain his, you know, awesomeness or whatever. Chris, whatever that guy's name is. All, there's, all their names are Chris. Have you noticed that? There's like four of them that are named Chris. Hey, Chris. And they all, hey, okay, I'm a superhero, whatever. But what am I trying to say? We go through these times of discipline so we can be what God has called and created us to be. So I've been teaching these kids karate. I've been doing this for, you know, since I think the first time I started teaching on my own was in 1988. But prior to that, I had studied uh, Chinese Kempo when I was younger, when I was uh, 14 through 16. And then when I graduated from college, I came back to my church and I found out they had a karate dojo in the church. I'm basically teaching that club. That was a, a Christian sensei. He put that together. You have to memorize scripture in my club, all of this other stuff, right? That was his, those, those were his ideas. I'm just following those same. Now, I've augmented and come up with different things and so forth since then. But I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't train. So each time our club has grown and then people lose interest and then it sort of declines and then I won't teach for a few years and then I see another opportunity and so then I started again. And I restarted this one in 2017 uh, and the wax I started it officially for this church in 2000, January 2018, but that was in the wake of that Sutherland Springs shooting. Because I thought, you know, I can teach our people to defend themselves. Well, initially we had adults that were interested and so forth, but then they just weren't interested anymore. But the kids are, and they keep coming. Well, I couldn't do that if I wouldn't train. I couldn't teach them anything if I wouldn't train. You've got to train, right? So I think that that's what we're talking about here. Um, we need to discipline ourselves, above all, to follow Christ. These have all been examples, but we need to discipline ourselves to follow Christ and obey the word, um, or we will be disciplined by God because of the consequences of our disobedience. I will eat the fruit of my ways. My own backsliding will punish me if I choose not to discipline myself. Um, Proverbs 14, 14. I've posted both of these recently. Uh, Proverbs 14, 14 says, the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. In other words, you're going to pick what you plant, right? You plant weed seeds, that's what you're going to pick. 
plant, plant the seeds uh, of good fruit and a good fruit tree, that's what you're going to pick, right? So you don't plant, you know, watermelon seeds and pick oranges, right? You plant watermelon seeds and you water the ground and you take care of it, then you'll harvest watermelons, okay? So what seeds are you planting? And listen to this warning from Jeremiah 2.19. This is rough, and I posted this, I think, yesterday. Your evil will chastise you, and your apostasy, that means turning from the Lord. Uh, other translations say, say your backsliding will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. Now, this was Jeremiah preaching to the people uh, when they had turned away from the Lord. And the result was... Uh, the Babylonians came in and destroyed their city and took them away to Babylon for 70 years. As James warns, and we need to heed the warning, the judge is standing at the door. Well, let me just hit these last verses very, very quickly. I'm slightly over, but I want to finish the chapter. If it, that is judgment, begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So we're going to be able to endure the Lord's judgment because it's in the end, it's going to be for the purpose of correction. But people that don't know the Lord, it is destructive to them, right? If it begins with us, he says, what's going to be the outcome of those that are not paying attention? I, and several of us have, have mentioned this to one another, I don't know how people are, are dealing with what we have to uh, experience if they don't have the Lord today. I don't know how they're dealing with it. And for many of them, I guess they're really not. It's causing very significant psychological, physiological problems. You need Jesus. You need it for your own personal health. Um, I've considered preaching on this verse. Uh, I want to say it's Isaiah. I know it's Isaiah. I think it's 26.3. I may have the address wrong. I'll have to look it up or you can look it up for me. But it, the translation I memorized was, uh, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he is stayed or it, that is his mind, is stayed on you. You will keep that person in perfect peace who is focused on you. That's why I keep telling you, get off of the, the social media drama. Get away from these negative people. Turn off the media. Get away from all of this. Put your focus on the Lord and you will have peace because there's just too much drama out there, right? And so I don't know how these people are gonna deal with it. So when we're preaching the gospel to people, we're not trying to talk down to them or say I'm better than you, right? Or condemn them. We're trying to offer them peace. We're trying to offer them good news, right? And then he quotes, if the righteous is scarcely saved, we're barely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Whew. Who knows? Scripture says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's Hebrews 10.31. So judgment day is coming and no one's going to escape. You and I need to cling to the Lord with all we are. Don't give up. Your confidence in Christ will be greatly rewarded. Again, from Hebrews, this is a couple of chapters earlier from the one I read earlier. This is Hebrews 10.35-39. through 39. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. So you've got to keep it up so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, 
my soul has no pleasure in him. So that's shrinking back. That's apostasy. That's falling back into backsliding. That's turning away from the Lord. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen? We are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who turn our back. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that we're not, you know, struck with what's going on and, and, and crying out to the Lord, but we're not giving up. If we fall, the Lord is there to pick us up. So we're not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who persevere and are saved. And that's what I was talking about Sunday, about being saved. It's being saved out of this world, which is headed for destruction. And we will persevere because it is the Lord that holds my hand. Last verse, and this is one um, would be good to commit to memory. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. I don't know if that's exactly ESV. That's the translation I did memorize, okay? You entrust your soul to a faithful creator, but that's not just an emotion, a feeling of dependence. I entrust my soul in doing what is right. I do what is right because I trust the Lord and because that's the right way to go. I'm not trying to score points with God. I'm entrusting my soul to a faithful creator. I know he's faithful, right? That's a couple weeks before when I talked about faithfulness and I used Brother Vernon as our example, but I started off by saying God is faithful. God doesn't fail or forsake us. You can trust him. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Stop listening to these naysayers and these doomsday people, right? These negative people that are constantly telling us, oh, it'll never go back to normal. It's all bad. Stay inside. We're all going to die. The sky is falling. I know the one who holds the future. I may not know what the future holds. But as the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, and I taught this recently in, uh, in Timothy, I think 2 Timothy. Um, he said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. When your soul belongs to the Lord, you escape all of this because you're protected. Even if I physically die, it's what you were saying earlier, Adrian. I know who's got me. I know who I've put my faith in. And so it's going to all be okay. This is a test. How you doing? All right? All right. God bless you guys. That's pretty much the Bible study for this evening.